In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, to love him, and to better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the ultimate mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bismillahi wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing uh, with our study of the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the study of the prophetic personality, We'll be st we're still in the first chapter where it describes the physical. Uh, it is the physical description of the Prophet wasallama. And we'll be starting uh, with hadith number eight. Hadith number eight is a very lengthy hadith. And pretty much out of the remainder of the hadith of this chapter, it probably has the most... Uh, it has the newer uh, details or um, it also has more of the uh, unique vocabulary probably out of all the different narrations that we've looked at so far. So this particular hadith will take us some time. Uh, so just ask you to be patient inshallah and kind of keep up with the narration itself. Before I actually start the, uh, before I read the hadith and begin the uh, translation and then explanation of the terms and the concepts uh, that are mentioned here in this particular narration, there was one thing I wanted to qualify, uh, one thing I wanted to explain about the chain of narration itself. So in the chain of narration, um, Imam Tirmidhi rahmahullah ta'ala, after it goes back to a certain point, um, it then says, أخبرني رجل من بني تميم من ولدي أبي هالا زوج خديجة. So what it mentions here is that um, this narration comes by route of a man from Banu Tamim who was one of the um, children, one of the offspring of the husband of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha whose name was Abu Hala. Um, and so then it goes on to say, Yukna Aba Abdullah, his nickname was Abu Abdullah. And he narrates it from the son of Abu Hala, who narrates from Hassan bin Ali, who goes on to then say, I asked my uncle Hind ibn Abi Hala. Now I wanted to go ahead and explain what this is referencing, what this refers to. Abu Hala was the previous husband of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Khadija radiallahu, before she married the Prophet sallallahu he passed away. Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha had a son from that husband by the name of Hind. Hind is one of those names that was a unisex name amongst the Arabs. Both men and women would have that name. So he was named Hind bin Abihala. Hind ibn Abihala. And so this is the son of Khadija radiallahu anha. 
when the Prophet ﷺ married Khadija anha, he was still uh, young, and the Prophet ﷺ actually did raise him. He is known as Rabibun Nabi wasallam. He is the child brought up by the Prophet wasallam. And so as the rules of even maharim and relationships in Sharia are concerned, uh, when a man and a woman marry one another and they might have children from previous marriages, they basically become their stepchild. And any children that are then born out of that second marriage, they are siblings of one another, obviously, because they share a parent. So Fatima, anha, the daughter of the Prophet her mother is Khadija. This boy, Hind, his mother is also Khadija. They have different fathers, Abu Hala and Rasulullah but they share mothers. And so they were half siblings. They were half siblings. And that's why Hussein bin Ali, Hussein radiallahu anhu, the son of Ali and Fatima, that's why he says, I asked my uncle Hind. Alright, so this is his uncle. So just in case somebody kind of comes across in the translation, the husband of Khadija, that might throw someone off that might not be aware of that fact. And that's to kind of explain the entire relationship before we even get started. So I'll go ahead and read the hadith now. This is hadith number 8, Thaminan. قال إمام الترمذي رحمه الله تعالى حدثنا سفيان بن وكيع قال حدثنا جميع بن عمير بن عبد الرحمن العجلي إملاء علينا من كتابه قال أخبرني رجل من بني تميم من ولد أبي هالة زوجي خديجة يكنى أبا عبد الله عن ابن عن ابن لأبي هالة عن الحسن العلي رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال سألت خالي هند ابن أبي هالة وكان وصافا عن حلية النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنا أشتهي وأنا أشت وأنا أشتهي أن يصف لي منها شيئا أتعلق به فقال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فخما مفخما يتلألأ وجهه تلألأ القمر ليلة البدر أطول من المربوع وأقصر من المشذب عظيم الهامة رجل الشعر إن انفرقت عقيقته فرقها وإلا فلا يجاوز شعره شحمة أذنيه إذا هو وفره أزهر اللون واسع الجبين أزج الحواجب سوابغ في غير قرن في غير قرن بينهما عرق يدره الغضب أقنى العرنين له نور يعلوه يحسبه من لم يتأمل من لم يتأمله أشم كث اللحية سهل الخدين ضليع الفم مفلج الأسنان دقيق المسربة كأن عنقه جيد دمية في صفاء في صفاء الفضة معتدل الخلق خلق بادن متماسك سواء البطن سواء البطن والصدر عريض الصدر بعيد ما بين المنكبين ضخم الكراديس أنور المتجرد موصول ما بين اللبة والسرة بشعر يجريك الخط عار الثديين والبطن مما سوى ذلك أشعر الذراعين والمنكبين وأعالي الصدر طويل الزندين رحب الراحة شثن الكفين والقدمين سائل الأطراف أو قال وفي رواية أو قال شائل الأطراف خمصان الأخمصين 
مسيح القدمين ينبو عنهما الماء إذا زال زال قلعا يخطو تكفيا ويمشي هونا ذريع المشية إذا مشاك أن ما ينحط من صبب وإذا التفت التفت ما جميعا خافض الطرف نظره إلى الأرض أطول من نظره إلى السماء جل نظره الملاحظة يسوق أصحابه يبدر من لقي بالسلام وفي رواية يبدأ من لقي بالسلام So to give a very basic translation of it Hassan bin Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, says, I, I asked my uncle um, Hind bin Abihala radiallahu anhu about the noble features of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had often, he was very good at describing uh, things in general, and I wanted him to describe the Prophet sallallahu to me in a way that I could really understand and hold on to, that I could visualize. He said that the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a man of great qualities and he was greatly admired by others. His face glowed like the full moon. He was a slightly, he was taller than average, but he was shorter than an extremely or strangely tall person. He had a moderately large head, his hair was curly, and if his hair became parted, then he let it part in the middle, otherwise he himself would not intentionally part his hair. When his hair grew longer, it would curl around the uh, lobes of his ears, his ear lobes. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, had a very bright or um, very clear complexion. The Prophet وسلم, had a very open forehead. He had very uh, dense or thick eyebrows. They were separated, uh, he had very dense and thick eyebrows and there was, uh, but the eyebrows were separate and they did not meet one another in the middle. There was a vein between them that used to expand when he would become angry. His nose was very prominent and there was almost as if there was a light that used to emanate from it. When someone would look at him at first without taking a closer look, the nose would seem very large, but it was not large. His beard was very thick. The pupil of his eyes was dark in color. His cheeks were very, or rather there's not a mention of the pupil here. Um, his nose, it mentions, that was very prominent and there was like a light emanating from it. And if somebody looked at him without taking a closer look, then they would think that his nose was large. His beard was very thick. His cheeks were very clean, were very clear. His mouth was open. He had a larger mouth. And his teeth were very straight. 
The Prophet ﷺ had a very thin line of hair that went from his chest down to his navel. His neck was very prominent, was very clean. It was almost as if it was carved out of silver. The Prophet ﷺ had a very moderate build. He was somebody who was of a good build and seemed like he was very strong. The Prophet ﷺ's chest and his stomach were in a straight line, meaning that he did not have a belly that protruded. The Prophet ﷺ had a very wide chest. He was wide-chested. His shoulders were very far apart. He had very strong joints. Anwarul Mutajarradi. This is translated in two ways. Either when he removed his clothes, it was as if his body had a glow to it, or to say that he did not have a lot of hair on his body and it was as if his body glowed. There was um, his chest and his navel was connected by a line of hair that used to run from his chest to his navel. His, the remainder of his chest and his belly did not have any hair aside from that. He did have a little bit of hair at the top of his shoulders and at the top of his chest. Tawilu Zandaini. His forearms were very long. His hands were very wide. His palms were wide. He seemed very sure-handed and sure-footed. His fingers were very were long. His feet had arch, arches. His feet were arched. And his feet were not cracked or broken so that when water would flow over them, the water would flow right off. Like his feet were clean and they were not cracked. إِذَا زَالَ زَالَ قَلَعًا When he would walk, when he would raise his feet to walk, he would, he would raise them completely. Like he had a very brisk walk, a very sure walk. He didn't drag his feet, so to speak. When he would walk, he would lean slightly forward and he would walk with a certain gentility. He would take very large steps. And while he was walking, he would be leaning forward. It seemed like he was on a decline. When he turned to someone, he would turn completely. He would lower his gazes. He would look more towards the ground than he would look towards the sky. Most of the time when you saw him looking at something or you looked at him, it seemed like he was deeply in thought. He would make, the companion, he would make his companions walk in front of him. And whoever he met, he was the first to say salam to them. So this is a basic translation of this particular narration. As you can tell, it is a very, very uh, intricate or detailed narration. Now, to explain some of the essential parts of it or some of the description here that might warrant some extra explaining, first and foremost, of course, I explained who Hind Abi, uh, Ibn Abi Hala is and what his relationship to Hassan or Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhu is. Now, one of the things, uh, or Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, excuse me. Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu was at the age, tender age of eight when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away. He is the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was oftentimes described as being somebody who very much was like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his mannerisms. 
that Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu was very eloquent in his speech. He was very um, powerful when he spoke. And so he was described as oftentimes reminding people of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He did of course spend a lot of time, not just in the company of the Prophet sallallahu but literally in the lap of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As the Prophet sallallahu had a lot of love for his grandchildren and he would carry them and sit with them and spend time with them. But all of that being said, he was only eight years old when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So you can see that Hassan anhu has this desire that I want to complete the mental image I have of the Prophet ﷺ. So he said, I went to my uncle who spent a lot more time in the company of the Prophet ﷺ from way back in the day. From the time when the Prophet ﷺ was a young man of 25 years old. My uncle knew him longer than even my father knew him. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu knew the Prophet since after that. So he said, my uncle was one of the people that I knew who had known the Prophet for the longest amount of time and lived in his home. So I went to my uncle and I said, describe him to me. And then he says, وَكَانَ وَصَّافًا He says that he was, وَكَانَ وَصَّافًا عَنْ حِلْيَةِ Nabi sallallahu He was very good at describing the description of the Prophet And so what that means is that number one, um, Hind radiallahu ta'ala anhu was first of all somebody who again was very articulate as you can obviously tell from the language that he's using he was a very articulate person and secondly because he had spent so much time and such a prolonged time throughout the entire life of the Prophet sallallahu observing him he had a very good memory and a mental image of what the Prophet ﷺ looked like. So he was the best person for this. One of the very nuanced points that some of the scholars and the muhaddithun, they mention about this narration, is you also see the eloquence of Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says, وَكَانَ وَصَّافًا And he could have said, عَنْ خَلْقِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ He was very good at describing the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ. He was very good at detailing the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ, but he didn't use the word khalq. He used the word hilya. Hilya usually refers to like jewelry or adornment, decoration. And he's referring to the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ as the decoration of the Prophet ﷺ as to say everything about the Prophet ﷺ was breathtaking. And everything about him was beautiful. And so he goes on to say that I asked him and I wanted him to describe him to me. And he uses an interesting word, bihi, that I could latch onto. I wanted him to describe him to me in such a way that I could latch onto it. I could hold onto it. I could never let go of it. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to develop, complete that mental image. I wanted to memorize it. I wanted to learn it. And I wanted to be able to keep it in my mind for the rest of my life. Alright, so you can see the love that he has for the Prophet and how he's talking about it. Now he goes into the description and uh, uh, very appropriately, look at the very first thing that Hind mentions. He says, Kana Fakhman. He was an admirable man. He was a great man. He was a man of remarkable qualities, great qualities. And then he says, Mufakhman. And he, his greatness was recognized, was identified. Like his greatness was some, something that everyone accepted and, uh, uh, you know, appreciated. He says that his face was radiant. His face would glow. Like the radiance of the full moon on the night, like the radiance of the moon on the night of the full moon. Laylat al-Badr refers to the middle of the month. When the moon is full. 
He said, that's what the face of the Prophet ﷺ was like in terms of its radiance, its beauty, and your inability to take your eyes off of the face of the Prophet ﷺ. <clears throat> he said that he was a little bit taller than the average person, but وَأَقْصَرُ مِنَ الْمُشَذَّبِ Mushadhab refers to somebody who is not only very tall, but also very frail or very thin. Typically, if somebody is very tall and very thin at the same time, we oftentimes will describe them as lanky. And their, their, tall, their, their height or their, their tallness, if you will, is something that becomes very obvious and almost kind of strange about them. They're very lanky. And he says that Prophet ﷺ was not so tall where he seemed lanky or he seemed like he was not very coordinated. Because sometimes at the same time when people get very, very tall, they seem to be less coordinated. Alright? Or that's at least what I tell myself. Alright? And then he says, Azim al Hamati. Right? That again, I, I talked about this before. The Prophet, his head was very prominent. Not to say that he had a large head, but his head was very prominent. Again, because as he describes that he had a very open forehead and he had long hair, so his head was very prominent. Alright? Honorable. His hair was slightly wavy or slightly curly, like it would curl up at the bottom. He had like locks of hair. And then he says that if his hair would kind of fall apart because it was long, when it would, if it would fall apart in the middle, he would leave it. But he would not specifically sit there and part it in the middle. He says that his hair, when, it, when the Prophet ﷺ did grow it out long, it would curl up around his earlobes as we've talked about. Azhar alone, that the Prophet ﷺ had a very clear complexion. And that doesn't mean fair or white complexion because we've already talked about that, that he had a certain color to him. He wasn't very pale or white. He wasn't very dark either. He had a very medium complexion. But one of the things in the following narrations as well that we're going to see is it talks about the fact that the Prophet had a very had very clear skin. He didn't have a lot of blemishes on his skin. He had very clear skin. <clears throat> Yes, then he describes that the Prophet ﷺ had an open forehead. Like his forehead seemed very wide and vast, like a very open forehead. And that's why it was from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that even when he would cover his head, as he often would with a turban, right? The Prophet ﷺ would leave his forehead open. He would leave his forehead open. He would not cover up his forehead. Alright? Azajjal um, Hawajib. His eyebrows were very like thick, very dense. At the same time though, they were separated. They were separated, they were not joined in the middle. Between them, there was a vein here that would protrude when the Prophet ﷺ became very passionate about something. Uses the word angry, but not so much angry, more so when the Prophet ﷺ became very passionate, very serious about something, that vein would protrude in his forehead. And this is, this is going to seem a little bit off topic, but the scholars even mentioned the wisdom of it, that specifically when he would even be upset about something, that vein would protrude before he would even say something. And the scholars mentioned the wisdom of it because there's a hadith as well, where the Prophet ﷺ talks about the anger of the prophets. And how a prophet being angry with his people is not good for his people. Because prophets are given such hilm, they are given such patience and forbearance. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are not very easily perturbed or disturbed. And when prophets do become very angry or upset, it is usually due to some serious or very egregious 
um, conduct on the part of the people. And so the scholars talk about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ having a physical feature like this vein bulging in his forehead when he would start to become upset about something was almost was a blessing for the companions. So that if they were doing something or saying something that was very disturbing to the Prophet ﷺ, that it was not correct, that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, that vein would bulge and the Sahaba would take that as a notification of we need to slow it down here for a second. We need to correct our course of action. So before the Prophet ﷺ could even say anything, right? And that goes to show you again the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're able to observe in even the physical uh, structure of the Prophet ﷺ. He goes on to say that the Prophet ﷺ had a very prominent nose and there was, it was almost as if there was like a light emanating from it. Now what does that exactly mean? There's a lot of discussion. A lot of the scholars talk about this. There are some folks and some individuals that have speculated based on this that the Prophet of Allah literally had like a light, like a physical, actual, literal light that would emanate from him. That like if you're in a dark room where it would like illuminate the room. But that is... Not accurate. The reason for that, and that again, so a lot of times we, we get overly emotional or we attach our sentiments to the incorrect ideas. Right? That somehow taking that away, somebody might interpret it as a disrespect to the Prophet Oh, you don't love the Prophet? Brother, why do you hate the Prophet Right? Somebody might turn it into some weird, twisted mentality. It doesn't take anything away from the Prophet It's just a consideration of the facts. Right? The Prophet ﷺ is remarkable um, because of everything. But that, our iman in the Prophet ﷺ isn't necessarily tied to the fact whether or not he actually physically emanated lights, like lit up a dark room or not. Right? And there's narrations which counter this fact. There's a narration of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha who says that the Prophet ﷺ was, went, normally the Prophet ﷺ would pray his qiyam, Normally he would pray his tahajjud, his qiyam within the apartment of the Prophet ﷺ. One time he, uh, but uh, the apartment was very small. So a lot of times in praying there, he would inconvenience Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. That when he would go into sujood, he would have to move her feet out of the way. And then she would pull up her legs. And then, when the, and then she would pull them back out when the Prophet ﷺ stood back up in the qiyam again. And it was very inconvenient. So the Prophet ﷺ one day, to pray his qiyam, he went into the masjid. When he went into the masjid, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I woke up and I was just worried because it was very, it was not normal. He normally prayed there in the apartment. So I wanted to make sure everything was okay. So she says, I came out in the masjid to look for him. But it was the middle of the night. And there was no light in the masjid. And so it was so dark, I couldn't find him. So I started kind of moving. I didn't want to run into him. So I was kind of feeling around with my hand. And the Prophet ﷺ was praying right inside the masjid, right outside of the apartment. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha could find him if she needed him. So she said, I started feeling around with my hand and I couldn't see anything. And then my hand landed on his foot. And then I realized that he was there praying. And so again, if the Prophet ﷺ was physically emanating lights, then why wouldn't Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha been able to see him just glowing there in the dark? Very literally. No, seriously. 
And so for that reason, this nurun, lahu nurun ya'luhu, doesn't mean that he actually physically was emanating some light. What it just means is that we say in the English language as well, that somebody has a glow to them. Alright? That doesn't mean they're radioactive, it just means that they, they, they look radiant, they look very beautiful, they look very breathtaking, you can't take your eyes off of them, so on and so forth. So the Prophet ﷺ had a very prominent nose and there in the center of his face, it was almost like you were like just constantly, your eyes would go to his face all the time. Alright, so that's what it means. Going forward now, he then goes, he goes on to say that the nose of the Prophet was prominent and if you kind of glanced at him quickly, you would think that his nose was very large but when you looked, you realized that his nose was not, it, it almost seemed like he had a kind of, a, like his, the, the bone in his nose protruded but when you actually looked at him, you realized that was not the case. Alright? He then goes on to say, The Prophet had a very thick beard. Alright, the Prophet will we'll be reading more about the beard of the Prophet It was not extremely short. The beard of the Prophet at the same time was not extremely long, like down to his chest. He had a very average sized beard. But the thing about his beard was that it was not like it didn't have patches in it, or it wasn't very like kind of uh, thin or scattered where you could see through it. it. It was just very like solid, like it was a very thick, nice beard. But at the same time, while his beard was thick, that's usually a sign of somebody having a lot of hair on their face. But it, at the same time, his beard did not extend all the way up on his cheeks. His cheeks were very clean and clear and he didn't have to shave them or anything. They naturally were just very clean. He goes on to say that the Prophet ﷺ had a wide mouth. Meaning he didn't have a very small mouth, he had a very wide mouth. That when he would smile, you could see, um, like when he would open his mouth, you could see the teeth of the Prophet ﷺ. Muflaj al-Asnani. Muflaj al-Asnan refers to the fact that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, he had very like straight teeth. His teeth were very straight. Um, he then goes on to describe Daqiqul Masruba. We've talked about this, that he had that thin line of hair that went down from his chest to his navel. He says that the neck of the Prophet ﷺ looked like it was carved. Like it was just, he had definitions. Alright, he had definitions. Like his neck was very straight, very clean. Alright, and it seemed like it was almost like it was carved out. Um, and then he says, Fi safa il fiddati. It did not just look like it was carved out. At the same time, it was very clean. And it looked like it was carved out of silver. It was solid. And it gave again that impression of just strength. He goes on to mention that Mu'tadilul Khalq. Of course, we've talked about this. The Prophet was a very moderate, average build. Badinun, he was not very thin, right? He had a certain amount of, you know, he was he seemed strong. Mutamasik, mutamasik rather also means somebody who's very strong, very sure-footed. Alright? And then he describes that the Prophet's chest and his stomach were aligned. That the Prophet did not have a belly. The Prophet was somebody who was in good shape. The Prophet's chest was also very wide. And it describes again that his shoulders were also very broad, which we've talked about before. His joints were very thick, meaning that he was very strong looking. Anwarul Mutajarradi. Anwarul 
mutajarradi. Again, this is something I explained in the translation as well. That the Prophet of Allah وسلم, when he would remove his clothes, it seemed like almost again like he had like a glow to him. Like he had a very, he, he maintained himself, he was very clean, he was very well taken care of. He goes on to say that his chest and his navel were joined by that thin line of hair that went down. But aside from that, the rest of his chest and his belly, he didn't have a lot of hair on there. Um, aside from a little bit of hair that he had maybe on his shoulders and a little bit of hair that he had on the top of his chest. He goes on to say that the Prophet ﷺ had long forearms. Alright, long forearms. Again, another sign of strength. His palm was very wide. Like when he shook your hand, right? He had a good, he had a good uh, handshake. Um, and again, it describes the Prophet ﷺ being very sure-handed and sure-footed. He said that he had long fingers. The Prophet ﷺ had long fingers. He then describes that the fact that the Prophet had arches in his feet. Like, and that's a way to describe that the Prophet seemed like he was athletic. The Prophet seemed like he was athletic. Masihul Qadamain. And again, this describes the fact that the Prophet used to take care of himself. His feet were not cracked and dirty. Like they were not just like, they didn't have a lot of cracks in them. They weren't just covered with dirt all the time, but he used to clean his feet properly. And that would, of course, was also because of when the Prophet ﷺ, that's why he was the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, when he would do wudu, of course, you know, not just for the fara'id five times a day, but for any other type of ibadah or worship or recitation of the Qur'an, whenever he would do wudu, the Prophet ﷺ, sunnah was a dalak. He would actually rub his feet. He would rub his hands, he would rub his feet. He would use wudu as an opportunity to properly clean himself as well. <coughs> Right? So properly. The Prophet didn't make wudu like in a hurry. So much so that his feet were clean that if you poured water, the water would flow off. And when he walked, now this is describing zala zala qala'an. This is translated always in very strange ways. That when he raised his feet to walk, he raised them very, you know, strongly or very quickly. What it more so means is that the Prophet didn't drag his feet when he walked. Right? This again, it's not a good quality. The Prophet ﷺ, when he walked, he would raise his feet and walk properly. Good adab, good character. Right? He would walk like an adult. He wouldn't shuffle his feet, wouldn't drag his feet around. And when he walked, it was as if he was leaning forward again. And he walked with a certain amount of gentleness or humility as described in Surah Al-Furqan in the Quran as well وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنًا وَيَمْشِي هَوْنًا He used to walk with humility. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he took steps, he took larger steps. Again, not in a funny manner, right? It didn't look like he was doing lunges when he walked, right? But at the same time, he took like good-sized steps, all right? And when he walked again, it was like he was standing on a decline where he was slightly leaning forward. When he turned to face someone, he would turn and face them completely. We talked about this in a lot of detail. He would keep his eyes lowered, his gaze is lowered. And of course, this is a command in the Quran as well, that غَدُّ basar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet to advise both men and women 
uh, of, from amongst the believers, male and female believers, to lower their gazes. And so, obviously, because of the context in Surah Tunur, we know that this is talking about the opposite gender, but it is not exclusively only talking about that scenario, because specifically when it comes to these types of issues, in terms of what does Allah talk about, what does Allah say when He talks about zina? وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. He doesn't say, وَلَا تَزْنُوا Don't commit fornication. Right? But the Prophet says, don't go near fornication. Don't put yourself in situations that could lead to those types of sins. Right? So similarly here, when it talks about lowering the gazes and not inappropriately looking and gawking at, member, at individuals of the opposite gender in a lustful manner, right? Overall, it just means that the best way to develop that type of practice is to generally speaking, lower your gazes. Generally speaking, you kind of keep your gazes lower. You're not just constantly like, right, head on a swivel. <laughs> right? No, you kind of keep your gazes lower. This also benefits in another manner. The Prophet says, Min husni islam al mar'i From the beauty of one's practice of the religion of Islam is literally minding your own business. Leaving that which does not concern that person. Minding your own business is a part of good practice of Islam. And again, the more you're gawking around and looking around everywhere, the less you're minding your own business. The Prophet and I can give you so many, so, and we should talk about this, that's the point and the benefit of this. Another thing the Prophet talked about is looking into someone's private area or private space without permission. The Prophet ﷺ says if you look into someone's house, it is as if you barged into their house. Think about how egregious it would be to barge into a stranger's house or somebody's home without permission. Just walk right in, barge right in, climb. Imagine how creepy it is to climb through somebody's window. Alright? To sneak into someone's house. So Prophet ﷺ, when you look into someone's home, you, that's exactly what you've done. In fact, in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ said that if, you, if somebody was peeking into someone's home, and somebody was to take like a rock or a stick and poke their eye out, there would no, be no retribution in the case. That person who got their eye injured would have no case. Because you took away your rights when you invaded someone else's privacy. And privacy, the Prophet is using the home as just as an example. But privacy is beyond that. Right? If I have a personal private notebook with my name written on it, closed, and you walk up and you're like, that's invasion of privacy. With us today, it's a really big deal a lot of times with the electronic devices we have. Because they do contain a lot of private information. Whether it be someone's phone or laptop or tablet or whatever it may be, that opening it up and taking a look through it is invasion of someone's privacy. Right? And we see that with the electronic. Now you see the wisdom of keeping your gazes lowered, minding your own business. Because a lot of times somebody can be sitting there reading something or reading a text message on their phone. And if you're one of those people who's always kind of looking around and you start looking at someone else's text messages, now you invaded that person's privacy. And then they look over their shoulder and they're like, what? Right? And then it becomes a whole issue that could be avoided by you minding your own business and keeping your gazes lowered. And then in the Qur'an as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He talks about the issue of spying on other people, وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا Do not spy on one another. 
There is وَفِي قِرَاءَةٍ in another recitation it says وَلَا تَحَسَّسُوا وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا وَلَا تَحَسَّسُوا Which literally means that do not look at other people's things. Don't eavesdrop on other people. Don't look at other people's private things. Right? Keep your gazes out of people's business. Keep your ears out of people's business. Alright? So this is what's, what we learn from the Prophet is normally he kept his gazes lowered. He was somebody that was minding his own business. It goes on to say that نَظَرُهُ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ أَطْوَلُ مِن نَظَرِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ That his eyes were lowered more than they were raised up to the sky even. That means when he would raise his eyes up to the sky, whether it was in anticipation of wahi, but he would keep his gazes lowered more. And there's a very profound point about this. He receives divine revelation. If it's okay for anyone to be looking up at the sky all the time, it's the Messenger ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ understood and is teaching us that wahi from Allah will come when wahi from Allah comes. As the angels say, we do not descend, we don't come, right? Except by the command of our Lord. We only come down by the command of our Lord. Right? Don't rush, don't become impatient in anticipating. Don't become impatient in waiting for revelation to come to you before it's appropriate fixed time. Meaning there is a fixed time for when revelation comes, for, comes to you. Don't become impatient. Rather, if you start to feel some anxiety or some anticipation for revelation to come, what are you supposed to do? Make dua. Rabbi zidni ilma. And when making dua, when worshiping Allah, the gazes are lowered. So looking up actually could even be misinterpreted as being impatient, being hasty, hasty, being um, disrespectful even. Right? But more so be humble. You want to attract the mercy of Allah, well humble yourself. And we all know the greatest form of worship before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for us, as-salatu mi'arajul mu'min, the greatest way for us to communicate with Allah is salah. Where are we supposed to keep our gazes in salah? At the place of sajda, keep your eyes lowered, on the ground, humble. And the most beloved position, the closest we are to Allah is when we are in sujood, where our face is on the ground. How can you be looking up when your face is on the ground? Right, so that's the humility of the slave and that's what we're being taught. So even though the Prophet ﷺ received divine revelation, he was looking down more than he was staring up. Right, and there's a profound lesson in that. He then goes on to... Mention Jullu Nadarihi al That this means both things. That when the Prophet was looking at something, then he was deep in thought and contemplation. Or it also means that when you whenever most of the time you looked at him, you gazed at him, he was deep in thought and reflection. Right? A believer is somebody who is a deep thinker, somebody who reflects on things, processes things. Right? That's Iman. And then he says something very, very powerful. Yasuqu ashabahu. He would drive his companions. There are two words in the Arabic language that you need to know. When it talks about how you walk with people. Alright? There is yasuqu, 
which means you drive them, like you push them forward. You drive them from behind, you're pushing them from behind. Which means that you walk with people, but you walk behind them. The other word is yaqudu. Yaqudu. Yaqudu means qudwa. It means that you walk in front of them. You pull them along. You pull them along. Right? So you walk in front of them. The thing about the Prophet ﷺ is that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ did both, but in different scenarios. And we learn a lesson about what is leadership. From in what circumstance he did what. When he led them in salah, in prayer, then he stood in front of them. The Imam stands in front. Because that's a position of accountability before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's another thing we misunderstand. Alright? Some of our younger brothers, younger hufad, this is something they need to correct. Standing in front and leading prayer isn't an honor. Or it's not some like position of respect. It's a position of responsibility. And again, part of being, part of knowledge and responsibility is also stepping forth when that responsibility is asked of you, when that task is asked of you, but always being conscious of the fact that this is a responsibility. This is an amana and a trust. Right? This is not some privilege. This is a weight I carry on my shoulders. Right? So he would stand in front with leading the prayer. In the battlefield, the Prophet ﷺ would be in the front to protect people. But when they would travel, the Prophet ﷺ would travel behind them for the purpose of taking care of the flock. Right? Making sure, picking up after them, making sure everything was okay. Making sure nobody fell behind, nobody trailed behind. Those who were lagging, those who were falling behind, for whatever reason, to be there for them and to keep kind of keep them moving forward. So he was taking care of people. He was their caretaker. And similarly, when the Prophet ﷺ would walk around just in Medina, just casually, and the Sahaba would be walking with him, he would insist that they walk in front of him. To not ever give that impression, and the Sahaba were obviously very uncomfortable with the idea of walking in front of the Prophet ﷺ, but he was like, come on, come on, shoo, shoo. Right? Because the Prophet ﷺ did not want to create that image of here goes this great leader, or this, you know, king, and here are all the lowly subjects behind him. Even though the Prophet ﷺ is a king of men. I am the leader of all of mankind. I will be the leader of all of humanity on the day of resurrection. But still the humility of the Prophet ﷺ and his concern and his love for people overcame the, that aspect of the Prophet ﷺ's you know, reality and responsibility. And the Sahaba learned from this. One of the most knowledgeable companions of the Prophet ﷺ, one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ who had the most suhba with him, who spent the most prolonged amount of time with him in terms of years, and even time during those years, 
And he was one of the most knowledgeable and one of the most gifted and one of the most sought after people both during the life of the Prophet and after the Prophet was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of the most remarkable special companions of the Prophet The Sahaba themselves, they say that all of the knowledge of the generation of the Sahaba ended with two people. Meaning that the two most knowledgeable people of our generation were Abdullah bin Mas'ud and Ali bin Abi Talib. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala is a great man. And after the Prophet he was sought out by other Sahaba and Tabi'un for knowledge. And that's why some of the greatest scholars of that following generation were the two Alqama, Masruq, uh, Ibrahim al-Nakh'i, Right, they were all students of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Abdullah and even Sahaba, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, one, is one of his primary advisors and his, the people that he would lean on for knowledge and wisdom was Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And so Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu was obviously somebody that people really gravitated towards and came to from far and wide. So, uh, but he again had learned from the Prophet He had so much companionship with the Prophet that the Sahaba say that we always assumed that he was a family member. When we found out that he wasn't like a direct, like a close family member, immediate family member of the Prophet we were shocked. Because he used to spend so much time in the home of the Prophet He was so close to him. When the ayah came down about taking permission before you go in, go in the home of the Messenger the relationship with Abdullah bin Mas'ud was already so established that the Prophet told Abdullah bin Mas'ud, "Idnuka alayya an al The way that you get permission to come into my home is raise the curtain and walk in. Your family at this point. Forget about it. So that's what Abdullah bin Mas'ud was. So now, just to tell you about this is not just the Prophet but this is his practice, his sunnah, and the Sahaba learned from him this practice. That one time Abdullah bin Mas'ud comes out from his home. And he's just walking outside of his home, just maybe walking to the market or to the masjid or whatever, just doing his own things. Right? Running his own errands. After a while, he kind of noticed and he turned around and there was like a group of people just following him. They were just kind of following him. Again, I mean, this is a, if anybody you should go and kind of stalk or follow, it's Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. Everything about him was knowledge. Every, the Prophet said, anything Abdullah bin Mas'ud ever says or does, know that it came from me. Blank check. So if you're going to follow somebody around, it's him. And so people, he just saw that there was a group of people just following him. And he turned around and he looked at them. Ibn Qayyim mentions it in his fawaid as well. That he turned around and he looked at them and he said, well, well, what do you want? And he said, nothing. He said, then why are you following me? And they were like, oh, no, just, just following you. And he said, don't. <laughs> right? How do you know that you know, I, I, I won't make a mistake, and you would follow me into a mistake. Right, that God consciousness, that humility. So, this was the practice of the Prophet that he would make the companions walk in front of him. He would push them from behind. And it also can have a figurative meaning as well, that the Prophet was always pushing people along. He was an encourager and a motivator. 
right? A teacher. And then he says, وَيَبْدَأُ مَنْ لَقِيَ بِالسَّلَامُ وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ وَيَبْدُرُ مَنْ لَقِيَ بِالسَّلَامُ That this narration that you have in the text says he would, whenever he met someone, he was the first to initiate, he would initiate the salam, he was the first to say salam. And يَبْدُرُ similarly means the same thing, that he would rush to say salam. When he met someone, he would rush to say salam. So he would initiate the salam. And that's another thing about the Prophet ﷺ that the Sahaba notes. The Prophet ﷺ, this is a very fascinating thing. The Prophet ﷺ taught the companions the protocol of saying salam. One who is standing should say salam to those who are sitting. The one who is riding on an animal should say salam to those who are walking on foot. The one who is younger should say salam to the elder. The one who enters should say salam to the people that are already inside. These are all the protocols of saying salam. In spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, the Sahaba say that even when we were the ones based on his instruction who should be saying salam first, he would still say salam to us first. So when a child would walk up and right about be able to say salam, the Prophet would say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. When we walked into the room and we should now say salam based on what he taught us, before we could say salam, he would say salam to us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. He was always the first to say salam. Because the Prophet also taught us, وَخَيْدُهُمَا الَّذِي يَبْدَأُ بِالسَّلَامِ The better amongst them, the better one, meaning the one who receives more reward, is the one who initiates the greeting. And so the Prophet would always initiate the greeting. Moving on to hadith number 9. Imam Tirmidhi again says, حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو مُوسَى مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْمُثَنَّى قال حدثنا محمد بن جعفر قال حدثنا شعبة عن سماك بن حرب قال سمعت جابر بن سمرة رضي الله تعالى عنه يقول كان رسول الله كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ضليع الفم أشكل العين عين منهوس العقب he he says that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and there's actually, I should actually mention this in a more extended narration. قَالَ شُعْبَ قُلْتُ لِسِمَاكِ قَالَ شُعْبَ قُلْتُ لِسِمَاكِ That Shu'ba, he asked Simak. One of the, one of the narrators asked the other narrator. He said, مَا ضَلِيعُ الْفَمْ What does ضَلِيعُ الْفَمْ mean? And he says, عَظِيمُ الْفَمْ He had a large mouth. Like an open mouth. قُلْتُ وَمَا أَشْكَلُ الْعَيْنِ قَالَ طَوِيلُ الشِّقِّ الْعَيْنِ That his eyes were big. قُلْتُ مَا مَنْهُوسُ الْعَقِبِ قَالَ قَلِيلُ لَحْمِ الْعَقِبِ I asked him what does مَنْهُوسُ الْعَقِبِ mean? And he said that his heels were not like very thick. Alright, so to translate this though, Jabir bin Samura radiallahu ta'ala says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa had a wide mouth. Now even though that one narrator said that ashkalul ayn means having wide eyes, but uh, Ibn Hajar rahimahullahu ta'ala and a lot of other scholars, Imam al-Nawawi, Ibn Hajar, many other scholars of hadith say that that particular narrator is not correct in his interpretation of this word ashkalul ayn. 
Most of the narrators and most of the scholars of hadith, and even in the Arabic language as well, if you go back and you research this word, in classical Arabic, ashkalul ayn refers to somebody who has, who you can, if you look very closely in their eyes, you can see the small red lines. The red veins in the eyes, you can see them if you look very closely. Alright, like he didn't look like he had like dead pale eyes. But you could see, if you look close, you could see the small red lines in his eyes. Alright? And then it says, Manhusul Aqibi, which means that his heel wasn't very thick. Like the Prophet didn't have like these big thick feet, wide feet. But the Prophet had very athletic looking feet. Alright? Hadith number 10. Imam Tirmidhi says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا هَنَّادُ بْنُ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْثَرُ بْنُ الْقَاسِمِ عَنْ أَشْعَثْ يَعْنِي إِبْنِ سَوَّارِ عَنْ أَبِي إِسْحَاقِ عَنْ جَابِرِ بْنِ سَمُرَى رضي الله تعالى عنه قال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في ليلة إضحيان وعليه حلة حمراء فجعلت أنظر إليه وإلى القمر فلهو عندي أحسن من القمر Jabir bin Samura says that I saw the Messenger of Allah وسلم, on the night of the full moon and he was wearing a red garment or a garment with red in it and I began to look at him and then look towards the moon and without a doubt he was more beautiful than the moon to me. To me he was more beautiful than the moon. The full moon, excuse me. So now to explain just some of the vocabulary, the word idhiyan is a very classical word that was used in classical Arabic poetry that doesn't, a night which has the full moon is called Laylatul Badr. Laylatul idhiyan refers to when there is a full moon and there are no clouds and there's just a certain calmness or serenity, there's no wind blowing. So that there is a full moon, there are no clouds, and there is no wind blowing on that night. And there's just this very, there's this serenity about that night. There's a certain calmness about the night. And when you go outside, you think somebody left the lights on. Because of there being no clouds whatsoever, that everything looks lit up by the moon. That that refers to idhiyan. Some also say now based on, you know, some of the terminology we have now, that a lot of times what they refer to as like the super moon, when the moon seems like very, very large, that that is what idhiyan refers to. So Jabir bin Samurai is saying that I was on the, it was on a night with the super moon where the moon looks super huge, right? And on that night where you just can't take your eyes off the moon, the Prophet ﷺ was wearing that garment that I described before that had the red lines on it. And he was out there in the moonlight. And I looked at the Prophet ﷺ, then I looked at the moon, then I looked at the Prophet ﷺ, then I looked at the moon, and I came to the conclusion that he was more beautiful than the moon. Hadith number 11. Imam Tirmidhi says, حدثنا سفيان بن قال حدثنا حميد بن عبد الرحمن الرؤاسي عن زهير عن أبي إسحاق قال سأل رجل البراء بن عازب رضي الله تعالى عنه أكان وجه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم مثل السيف قال لا بل قال لا بل مثل القمر. Alright, so he says that uh, a man asked 
Bara bin Azib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that was the face of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam like a sword. He said, no, rather it was like the moon. Now what does that mean? Hafid ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala, this hadith is in Bukhari as well. In Fathul Bari, he's saying that this can have two possible meanings. This can have two possible meanings. Number one, is that he was asking that the Prophet have a very long face. And he says, no, the Prophet didn't have so much of a long face as he had more of a, like a symmetrical face. Again, it doesn't mean that he had like a completely round face because that was talked about before. Laysa bit tadweer. That his face was not like it was completely round, but it just means that he had like a very, kind of like a full face. But he did have definitions to his face. It wasn't just round or pudgy. But the Prophet ﷺ did have a wide face or a wide jaw, but he did have definitions to his face. Alright? The second meaning of this, because when the Arabs would describe this as well, and we actually find this description about Abu Jahl, of all people, um, that they described that Hadidul Wajhi wa Hadidul Lisani. That Abu Jahl had a um, face like iron, like a blade. Sword like a blade, and he had a tongue like a blade. And so a lot of times when they would talk about somebody's face being like a sword, and he says sword here not to be disrespectful, because hadidul waj would be used for somebody that was mean, but that's basically what he was asking. That did the Prophet look like a little mean? Did he look stern? Was he one of those people that just looked kind of scary? You know those uncles that just look kind of scary? They walk into the room and you're like, oh God, right? They just have that scary look on their face. When they tell you after khutbah, I have a question for you. And you're like, no please. Alright? So one of those uncles, kind of scary. Did the Prophet look kind of scary like that? He says, no, no. The Prophet looked like the moon. And now again, what he's describing is, what is the quality of the moon? You bask in the moonlight. You sit there and you stare at the moon for hours. You, on the night of the full moon, you actually sit outside and kind of enjoy it. The Prophet ﷺ was somebody that was very welcoming. Right? You just wanted to sit with him. You wanted to talk to him. You wanted to look at him for hours. He wasn't scary. He was welcoming. He was warm. He had a warmness to him. He had a warmth. Hadith number 12. Imam Tirmidhi says, حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ دَعُودَ الْمَصَاحِفِ سُلَيْمَانِ بْنُ سَلْمٍ قال حدثنا النظر بن شميل عن صالح بن ابن أبي الأخضر عن ابن شهاب عن أبي سلمة عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أبيض كأنما كأنما سيغ من فضة رجل الشعر Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Prophet ﷺ had a very clear complexion as if he was molded out of silver. And he had curly hair, slightly curly hair, wavy hair. Now the word abiyad is used, so you might be saying, well that means white, why are you saying clear? Well because look at, he describes itself, he describes it himself, he's not able, maybe he wasn't able to think of the right word, so he says, he provides the sharh, the description himself, he says, it was as if he was molded out of silver. And again, what he means by that is what I talked about earlier, that he had, a very, he had very clean skin, very clear skin. He didn't have blemishes on his skin. So the Prophet ﷺ was very clear in his complexion or in his skin, in his skin tone, 
And the Prophet ﷺ had that wavy hair. Hadith number 13. This is a very fascinating narration. Imam Tirmidhi says, حدثنا قتيبة بن سعيد قال أخبرني الليث بن سعد عن أبي الزبير عن جابر بن عبد الله أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال عرض علي الأنبياء فإذا موسى عليه السلام ضرب من الرجال كأنهم من رجال شنوءة ورأيت عيسى بن مريم عليه السلام فإذا أقرب من رأيت به شبها عروة بن مسعود ورأيت إبراهيم عليه السلام فإذا أقرب من فإذا أقرب من رأيت به شبها صاحبكم يعني نفسه قال الراوي يعني نفسه ورأيت جبريل عليه السلام فإذا أقرب من رأيت به شبها دحية أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام. Now this is an actual hadith, like hadith قولي. These are the words of the Prophet So far, what we've been interacting with are the words of the companions about the Prophet These are the words of the Prophet And as an introduction to you, that these are words, this hadith is from the Prophet recounting the some of what he saw or he experienced on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj. This is from the journey by night to Jerusalem and the ascension above the heavens. So when he uh, experienced the Mi'raj, then at that time he's describing the messengers that he interacted, the prophets he interacted with. So now the, I'll just give the translation and I'll explain. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says that the prophets were presented to me. And so Musa alayhi salam, he was a very moderately built man. It was as if he belonged to the men of the tribe of Shanu'ah. The men of Shanu'ah. And I saw Isa alayhi salam, and the closest in similarity, in looks that I have ever seen anybody else, is Urwat ibn Mas'ud. And I saw Ibrahim alayhi salam, and the closest that I've that I can tell you the closest that I've seen anyone in terms of looks is your friend, meaning yours truly. So it's sahibukum is a way to say yours truly, meaning himself. Ya'ni nafsahu, meaning himself. And I saw Jibreel alayhi salam, and the closest in a human form, and the closest in uh, looks that I have ever seen anyone is Dihya. Now let me go ahead and give you a little bit of an explanation. So the Prophet ﷺ is describing, providing some type of a description as to what some of the different Prophets look like. So first he says, Musa salam, And so he said that, min rijal, That he was a normal looking man. Like an average man. That there wasn't something very, you know, odd or curious or bizarre about him. He was just a man. Alright? But then he says that it was as if he was from the people of Shanu'ah. Now when he says from the people of Shanu'ah, this was a particular tribe of people. And what was typically known about the men from this tribe is that they were not very tall. They were of average height or sometimes even slightly below average height. But they were just known as just very strong men. They were known as very firmly built strong men. And so he says, Musa salam was a very average height, but he just seemed like he was very well put together, like he seemed strong. Alright? And that's what Musa salam looked like. 
And then he goes on to explain when he said, uh, so I wanted to explain, this tribe of Shanu'a, just a little bit of historical detail, this tribe was also called Shanu'a because some Shana'anu qawmin, like the Quran even talks about, that this was a tribe that had a lot of interior, a lot of infighting. And so over time they developed the name that the people of Shanu'a, the people who fight with each other all the time. But anyways, he then goes on to describe Isa ibn Maryam. He says, Isa, the son of Maryam, the closest person I can tell you who looks like him is Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was a sahabi from Ta'if. And what's fascinating about him is the Prophet had a lot of love for him. Because when the Prophet went on his journey to Ta'if, the one that ended. Um, very tragically the way that it did with them throwing rocks and stoning the Prophet ﷺ. We're going to be talking about that in detail in the Sirah class. Um, but when it ended the way that it did, one, one of the people who followed the Prophet ﷺ, he left a little bit later and followed the Prophet ﷺ back to Mecca and became Muslim was Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. So the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of love for him. He spent some time with the Prophet ﷺ, and then he asked the Prophet ﷺ, إِسْتَعْذَنَ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ He asked him permission, لِرُجُوعِ إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ He said, let me go back to my people and try to preach the message there. And so by this time, after some time, when Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj basically had come and the five times prayer had been mandated, so some narrations say that he was praying or it was even later on that once the Adhan had been instituted, that he learned the Adhan. Later on, once the Prophet had migrated to Medina, he learned the Adhan. And he was back in his people, amongst his people in Ta'if. And either he was calling the Adhan or he was standing and praying. And somebody snuck up on him and took an arrow and shot him and killed him. So he died as a martyr, as a shaheed while praying or calling the Adhan. So now... But again, what did Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi look like? That the Prophet is saying he looks like Isa ibn Maryam. Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi is described as somebody who again, maybe had average height or was a little bit taller than average height. He was somebody who wasn't like, when I say thin, it doesn't mean that he was like lanky or frail. But it just means that he was a little bit on the thinner side. Right, he was slim. And the complexion of his skin was that he had a fair complexion, but he had a lot of red. Right? He had a very red-like complexion. And his hair was very straight, which was not very normal in that region, in that area. He had very straight hair. And so it's, it's described as if, like it looked like he had just stepped out of the shower. Like his hair was still wet. So it was very silky and it was very straight. All right, and so that's the description of Isa السلام, that the Prophet is providing. Then he goes on to describe Ibrahim السلام, that he said basically Ibrahim السلام, looks like yours truly, the Prophet. All right, and then he says Jibreel السلام, Jibreel السلام, looks like Dihya al Kalbi. Dihya al Kalbi. He was a companion of the Prophet السلام, and again. I know that beauty and things like that are obviously subjective, but nevertheless, just the testimony of the people of that time, people used to describe Dihya as the most beautiful person they had ever seen. He was just a handsome man, right? And so people were always taken aback by just how striking he was. 
Right? He had very prominent definitions in his face. He had very good build and height. He had, you know, very um, dark hair and a very dark, like, thick beard. And he was just a very striking man. And so that's what he says, Jibreel alayhi salam. And so what actually is, of course, Jibreel alayhi salam is an angel and we know about his angelic form that is described in the narrations of Bukhari by the Prophet But what the Prophet is saying that the human form that Jibreel alayhi salam assumes is that of Dihya al-Kalbi, looking similar to Dihya al-Kalbi, where you would mistake them almost for brothers. And sometimes he would look so much like Dihya al-Kalbi that sometimes when Jibreel alayhi salam would visit the Prophet Sahaba would think it was Dihya. And so Dihya didn't live in Medina, he lived outside of Medina, and then he would come to visit, and people would be like, oh, you're back again? And he's like, what do you mean back again? He's like, oh, you were here yesterday. And he was like, no, I wasn't. And they were like, yes, you were. And he said, no, I wasn't. And then they would look at you and go, oh. Right? <laughs> that was Jibreel walking, right? So going forward now, inshallah, let's wrap this up. These last two narrations are basically repetitive in terms of the topic that it's talking about. Imam Tirmidhi in hadith number 14, he says, حدثنا سفيان ibn Waki'in wa Muhammad ibn Basharin al-ma'na wahidun wa qala akhbarana Yazid ibn Harun an Sa'idin al-Jurayri qala sami'atu abattufayl يقول رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وما بقي على وجه الأرض أحد رآه غيري قلت صفه لي قال كان أبيض مليحا مقصدا so this narration, again, what you see in the beginning of the chain of narration is two, he got this narration from both his teachers. And when he says, Al-Ma'na Wahidun, he says that their words were not identical, but it had the same meaning. So I just kind of mentioned them as one narration. So he says, Sa'id al-Jurayri. Sa'id al-Jurayri. Says that I heard Abu Tufail. Sa'id al-Jurayri is a tabi'i. He says that I heard Abu Tufail. Say that I saw the Prophet And there's not anyone on the face of this earth who physically, in person, saw the Prophet besides myself. I am the last final surviving individual who physically saw the Prophet in person, in real life. And he said, so Sa'id al-Juraydi says, well describe him to me. And he said that he had a clear complexion, he was very beautiful, like he was a very handsome man, malihan, he was very handsome, muqassada, and he had a very medium average build. Right, he had a medium build. And so this Sahabi Abu Tufail, it said, he was the last surviving Sahabi Rasul. The last surviving companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning somebody who in a state of belief in Iman had actually physically seen the Prophet ﷺ in real life. And it said that he lived to be about 100 years old and that's why he was the last one. And he had seen the Prophet ﷺ as a child and then he lived to be 100 years old. So that's why he was the last actual Sahabi. Then Imam Tirmidhi concludes this chapter, hadith number 15. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ بْنُ الْمُنْذِرِ الْحِزَامِ 
قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن أبي ثابت الزهري قال حدثني إسماعيل بن إبراهيم ابن أخي موسى ابن عقبة عن موسى ابن عقبة عن كريب عن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أفلج الثنيتين إذا تكلم رؤيك النور يخرج من بين ثناياه he said that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa had a gap between his two front teeth. When he spoke, it was as if light was coming through from between his two front teeth. Alright? So again, now we have one physical description that he had a small slight gap between his two front teeth. And secondly... What we, what, the second part of it, he says, he says, it was as if light. And again, the indication that he's not actually saying that there was like light flashing out of there, is that he says, ka'annahu. إِذَا تَكَلَّمَا رُؤِيَ كَنُّورِ It was as if. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Alright, he's saying it was as if light was coming from, meaning that it was again, he was just so radiant and everything he said was so captivating that when he spoke, you couldn't just stop listening to him, you couldn't stop looking at him. And you looked at him while he spoke to you. And you paid attention when he spoke to you. It just drew you in when he spoke. That So inshallah, this concludes the first chapter of the Shama'il. The second chapter is on the seal of Prophet Al-Khatam Al-Nubuwa. And so inshallah, we'll talk about it there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us all in the love of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.